This week, we will discuss... Rachel learns that she just needs to grin and bear it. Really? The bear necessities. Are you really gonna... Okay. Bear arms? I don't know where I was going with this. Apparently not. Welcome to Circle Yerk, an Animorphs podcast. I'm Barry. Whoa, you changed the start. I certainly didn't. Oh, no, I don't think... Okay. All right, I'm Shawnee. <laughs> I don't think that's how we've started before. I, I literally cut and paste it. Sometimes I add a little a little thing like, uh, you know, use only as prescribed. But no, it's... it's no, you always start... for 22 episodes. You start off with, like, uh, may the Kendrona shine and light upon you. Right, so you said I'm Shawnee, and then I say... Hi, Shawnee. May the Kondrona shine and strengthen you. What do we do here on Circle Yerk? This is a great start. <laughs> uh, apparently not remember how this uh, entire podcast works. This is an Animorphs podcast where you have read the books. I have not. You recap them to me and I remember nothing between episodes. Hey, Shawnee, guess what? You have questions! I have some questions for you. Do I get half a point for that? I knew it was you know coming. What? Sure, fuck it. Oh, wait, no. No, because you gave me that point eight for a perfectly good answer. <laughs> so no. No, but you don't... I'm going to be stingy now. But I'm still in the negatives as a net. Charlie, what was the name of the cruel elephant trainer we met at the beginning of last week's episode? We met an elephant trainer. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, um, um, Mr. Trunchbull. I'll, I'll give you a clue. I'll give you a clue. There's no H in it. What? His name was Joseph. Oh, because whenever whenever someone says, like, there's no fucking H in it, or because there's a fucking H in it, it makes me think of the Eddie Izzard joke Oh, about yes, her, yes. herbs and herbs. Because I, I was about to be like, his name is Herb? What? But there is, a, is an H in it. Anyway, go on. What was Rachel's, uh, sorry, what is Rachel's father's occupation? Absolutely no clue. D- take a guess. Um, he's a doctor. He is a TV news anchor. As you'll remember, he got a promotion that was going to take him across the country, and he was letting Rachel decide whether or not she wanted to join him in his move. Was I here for the previous episode? You were on some pain medication. Oh, yeah, that's true. (laughs) Speaking of which, can you summarize what happened to the gang at the end of last week's episode? No, I absolutely cannot. Anything, anything about the end of the episode. It was kind of a big deal, a bit of a huge cliffhanger. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely no idea. So they all morphed into cockroaches, infiltrated the yerk pool, and were eaten by a taxon. Yeah, I don't remember any of this. Are you serious? Like, even more so than normally, but I, I was on substantial pain medication i'm going to do you a favor (laughs) okay i'm gonna go i'm gonna go back to the end of last week's episode (laughs) this is getting more embarrassing every week uh all of a sudden time stopped the taxon's tongue stopped moving there were no vibrations in the air against her will rachel started to demorph cassie said i'm demorphing too but it's not me doing it jake's like yeah me too they all fell out of the mouth of the taxon who was eating them. There they were. 
barefoot. There were the humans, their Andalite body uh, of Axe. They looked around the lunchroom. Do you remember the lunchroom that the Andalites were in? Nobody was moving. Time was completely still. Yeah. Marco's like, let's get the fuck out of here. And they see one person that is not frozen in time that is walking up to them. It's a young boy who is tall and had long hair. Rachel recognizes him and says, oh, hey, Tobias. No, absolutely no memory of this. What were you taking? It was a muscle relaxer. Oh, wow. It's... I'm you don't a... remember, like, Tobias is a human now, and time froze, and they got eaten by a taxon. Absolutely not at all. Oh, boy, we should skip the rest of these questions. Uh, <laughs> what new Let... morph did Rachel... You're not going to remember any of this. What new morph did Rachel acquire in this book? A bear? Yeah. You got it. You got it. All right, there's some lucidity. <laughs> well, and... you also made a joke about bears earlier, so I figured... Oh, okay, okay. Context clues. You know, still get a point. Thank you. And uh, where... More points than I normally get. Where did Tobias and Marco discover was the exit uh, the that they discovered for the Yerk Pool? No, no, I... Trick question. There is no exit. I mean, it was a trick question, but that wasn't the answer. The trick question was... Half a point. Half a point. Half a point. No, well, okay. Sure. For knowing that I'm a dick, you get half a point. I I mean, I'm married to you. I should get a full point just for that. I thought you were going to tell me the entrance to the Yerk Pool, which was in the Gap dressing room, but what I asked for was the exit, which was in the movie theater. Oh, I do remember the Gap dressing room. Right, but you don't remember Tobias demorphing <laughs> and being there no. in the middle of... Well, why don't you react to that information, that Tobias I, showed up... I am... My my guests are flabbered. Okay. <laughs> Today we're going to discuss the second part of The Stranger, the seventh book in Kay Applegate's Animorph series. I feel like we're also going to discuss the first part a lot. I, well, <laughs> speaking of which, when we last left off... Rachel's father made her an offer to move across the country with him and leave the Animorphs, but instead she decides to become a bear and fuck some shit up. They infiltrate the Yerk Pool Cavernous Cockroaches, where they're almost immediately eaten by a taxon. Suddenly, they're involuntarily demorphed, time stops around them, and in walks Tobias in his human form, which brings us to where we're at now. Allegedly. No, no, it's, <laughs> this is all in the books. Okay. Rachel runs up to hug Tobias, but he jumps back and actually starts flapping his arms up and down. Rachel's confused until she realizes he's, he's trying to fly away. Ooh. He's not used to hugging as he was startled. He blushed and apologized, and Rachel asks him, what the hell's going on? What, what are you doing here? Why is time frozen? Yeah. He says he, he doesn't know. One moment he was flying, and the next moment he's here and he's a human. Their seven-day free trial ended? Apparently, Axe points out the obvious, that time has stopped for everyone here except for them. God, he's the worst. And Cassie says, why is he, come on now, you're just being mean. He's so annoying. <laughs> Go on. Cassie says, well, this is kind of fucked up. Is is it some trick that Visser 3 is playing on us? Axe says, no way. The Yerks don't have technology remotely like this. Yeah, they don't have flurps. <laughs> or or geardmorphs. Yeah. Well, he says even the Andalites don't have anything that could do this sort of thing. They could freeze time. Ooh. And then a voice that seems to come from both everywhere and nowhere all at once says to them, What? Humility from an Andalite? 
What? Yeah, it wasn't quite thought speak. It was like an idea formed in their own heads and they heard it aloud. Weird. Rachel being Rachel looks around to see where the voice came from. So she's like ready to fight. She's like, where's this person? I'm going to turn into a bear and rip him up. Or an elephant and stomp him into jelly. But Rachel hears in her head, no, Rachel, there's no threat here. What's going on? Right. Tobias is like, how does it know your name? They look over at Axe, who has gone like completely rigid. He was shaking. Mm-hmm. The voice that they all hear says, ah, Aximili Escaruth Isthil has begun to guess at what I am. Is it Marco's mom? It is not Marco's mom. Axe says, Elemist. This being, supposedly known as an Elemist, says, Do not be afraid. I'll appear in a physical form so you can understand. So is this a, a new race? It is. So we have the Smarks. Oh, oh, is it a new race? And the Geds and the Andalites. So many. Okay, quit showing off. Hey, I've read one Andy book. And the Max. I'm trying. I'm trying so hard. It's doing good. A figure appears out of thin air. It's a humanoid figure, but with glowing blue skin and pointy ears and long white hair and eyes like black holes. Oh my god, it's a Smurf. I was thinking, um, <laughs> it reminded me of, do you remember when they made a live action He-Man movie? There was like this weird... God, come on. There was this weird troll dude that had like a magic accordion it reminded me of, of what that guy looked like, but but glowing blue. One, I have never probably seen a full episode of He-Man. Two, I did not know that there was a live-action movie. Three, why do you assume that I would have seen that? Or, or four, even remembered it if you had. I mean, that goes without saying. Well, the glowing blue skin also, and, and just like the whole like powerful, wise-sounding blue skin also made me think of one of Brandon Sanderson's um, Elantrans uh, could have been as well. But he says, and I'm just using um, male pronouns for shiggles, I am an Elemist. And he says that with actual words, now that he has a, a body. He says, as the Andalite has begun to guess. Mm. One distinguishing feature, he says, uh, he has eyes like black holes containing entire universes. Mm. Well, Axe is just freaking out. He's awestruck. The alumnus says, Axe, be at peace. Look at the humans. They aren't afraid of me. Axe says, yeah, they don't know what you are. And the alumnus responds, neither do you. You just know the fairy tales your people tell to their children. Oh, my goodness. Is he like a death eater? We'll find out. He's uh, he's, he's something all right. <laughs> Rachel's getting impatient. She's like, she's uncomfortable being surrounded by all these hork and taxons and controllers that are frozen around her in the Yurk Cavern. Even if time is frozen for them, it's still uncomfortable. So she's like, hey, um, why don't you guys fill us in? The alumnus says, you cannot begin to understand what I am. Well, why don't you try, buddy? Right, exactly. Axe says, they are all powerful they can cross a million light years in an instant well then it's okay they can make entire worlds blink out of existence 
They control time itself. Well, I have the technical issue there. What's that? They can cross universes fast in a light year. What? But like, why? In an instant, they have like instantaneous travel. So they they can like apparate. Yes, and they control time. Got it. Uh, And they could. uh, What what are the exact words here? could they could they fix the two ish hours versus two hours for the morph so it would make life a little bit more dependable for the animals? Well, they fucking demorph Tobias, so I guess they could do anything. He can do anything. Marco's skeptical. He so, says he doesn't. He, he says he doesn't look too tough. Marco. Yeah, Axe snaps at him and says, "That's not his actual body. He doesn't have a body. He's everywhere at once." He's in the fabric of space-time. Oh, my God. He's inside you. He's Sauron. He's fucking God. He's Sauron. Sauron isn't omnipresent and omnipotent. Uh, kind of is. I don't know enough Lord of the Rings. Okay, so why did you even try to argue Wait, with no. <clears throat> I'm sorry, because if Sauron were um, uh, all-powerful, the book would be one line long. No, because he had, like, a bad time, and then he's come back. Right, but he's clearly not, like, in control of all space and time. Not yet. He's working towards it, and then Frodo fucks it up. That's the actual story. (laughs) So, Jake is also getting impatient. He goes, all right, well, what's up? You got our attention. Why did you bring us here? The alumnus says, because you must decide. Rachel says, decide what? The alumnus responds, the fate of the human race. Okay, well, we choose that they live. Go on. Actually, some of them are opposed to that choice, as we'll, as we'll get into in a moment. See, I love how this book started off as a, we're going to go uh, do some espionage in the Yurk pool, find out some information of the Kendrona, and then fucking God shows up. Yeah, but is he, is he, he's a god to, like, all of the alien species? I mean, he's a being that exists in all places at once, can do anything, and knows everything. So I think by any definition, that's pretty much godlike. That's like Ryan Seacrest. <laughs> exactly like Ryan Seacrest. No, it makes sense in my brain. I, I bet there's at least one, one listener who chuckled at that. I'm sure there are. A uh, few things to note before we move forward. When he's talking... In his physical humanoid form, he has, like, normal text with quotation marks like anyone when they speak. Uh-huh. When he is doing uh, his equivalent of thought speak, we get uh, bold, all-caps text. Oh, that's like um, Mort and Terry Pratchett when Death speaks. That's what I was going to say. How the fuck do you know that? It's like Death, not Mort. It's Mort sometimes when he uses Death's voice. But, no, but the but book is called Mort. aside, you've read Terry Pratchett? Yeah, like a couple. Oh, that's really sexy. <laughs> How have we been married for so long you didn't know I read that? I, yeah, I'm very surprised. Yeah, I had to, I read it in high school, I think. Uh, it also seems like the Animorphs have their own Q. Oh? Right. Do you know who, anything about Q? You mean the guy from James Bond who has the exploding pens? No, no, that's adorable. The other Q. The guy who's, like... The source for all of the deep state conspiracies. Oh. So, Q was a character uh, introduced in the very first episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, played by John Delancey. Okay. You'd know him if you saw him. Uh, 
Um, he, he he played the father of Jesse's girlfriend on Breaking Bad. He, fantastic actor. He is basically the, the Elemist, except he's more of a of a of a prankster, a bit of a Joker character, like so a Loki. Like a Loki, but like infinitely more powerful than Loki. So Q can basically, he, like like the Elemis apparently, is all powerful, all knowing to to some extent. Can like not know things if he chooses not to. Okay. Um, but likes to fuck around with Captain Picard. Okay, so he's like a trickster god. He is like an all powerful trickster god, and I like that guy l- from Supernatural. Exactly. I was about to say I love actually I read your no- gods. I, I I read your notes ahead of time. That's why I know everything every single thing you're about to say right now. <laughs> it really if you if you could tell me who the great gazoo is, I will I will I will just give you whatever you want. If you could tell me anything about the great gazoo. I know that's a name I've heard before. I highly doubt it. Really? So Fred Flintstone had his own space genie. Yeah. And his name was the Great Gazoo. Okay, I've definitely heard that before. You probably like overheard a conversation between my brother and I because we're the only people who know who the Great Kazoo is. But uh, no, you had um, Puck from the amazing Gargoyles cartoon, uh, Gabriel in Supernatural. Oh, s- spoilers, oops. <laughs> uh, in DC Comics, you have both Mr. Mitzelplex and Batmite. Mm-hmm. Who are like just jokers, uh, you know, from the fifth dimension, whatever that means. But really, they can do anything. But what they choose to do is kind of poke at people for fun. This is really funny because my... So, you know, I have a couple of friends who are authors. Mm-hmm. And one of them is just finishing up her current book. But she's also, at the same time, she's like, she got like really inspired. And she's like plotting out her next one, which is going to be like a dark sort of Sin City type book. But it's like there's it's centered around five gods where one of the gods is the a trickster god. Nancy Coyote, who, who which 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 iteration of the trickster god? It's just like it's like her her version of it. But basically, you're a terrible friend, by the way, for not plugging. You're talking about your friend's book, but you're not going to give her the publicity. Well, if anyone is into dark romance, Naomi Loud, uh, she's available on Kindle Unlimited and wherever you might purchase your books she so she's writing this book so we but we were doing like brainstorming over messages yesterday and we were talking a lot about trickster gods so it's yeah it's funny the elemist is is and we haven't seen and again i don't i don't think it's fair to call him a trickster but he's definitely up to some shit got it i could definitely see like he you'll as you'll find out he's not a very straightforward character i enjoy this character as we'll go to find out. But yeah, basically, the Animorphs just met fucking God, and we're on book, what, eight of 97? Seven. What are your What are your feelings here? It's very interesting. Like, I'm trying to figure out, like, what's, the, what's that character's role in this war? We Well, um, he doesn't have a role in this war, and we will get into that immediately. But I just want to point out, like, I remember when they went to the ocean... And I got all excited, like, oh, they're not just hanging around their neighborhood anymore. They're taking things up a notch. That's cool. And now they're in, like, well, outer space. Well, then they go to the Yurk Mothership, and it's like, oh, wow, they're in space. Right. And now they're meeting God. <laughs> like, where do we go from here? Have they tried Myrtle Beach for spring break? <laughs> I hear it's a great time. Well, it's kind of like, it reminds me of the Mario series. We have Mario Land, Mario World, Mario Galaxy. Mario Universe is coming out in the near future. But, like, okay, you've kind of written yourself into a corner. 
Where could you possibly go from there? Like Mario Cosmos? Mario <laughs> Multiverse? Something like, like that. I, I, yeah, I, I just don't... This, this seems to be as far as you can take it. Yeah, it's like you, up the, you keep upping the stakes and all of a sudden you have like... You're like... Oh. Yeah, going from going from like, oh, I'm Homer and I'm sneaking into a sharing meeting to like, hi, I am an all-powerful being that wants you to decide decide the fate of humanity in a right. span of seven books. Right now, you children. Well, the Elemist, I keep mispronouncing that, the Elemist explains that they do not interfere in the private affairs of other beings. They have their own sort of uh, prime directive. Got it. But when a species is about to go extinct, well, they love life, especially sentient life. And what they do is they reach out to save a few members of that species. Oh my god, it's like they're they're like the managers of the Swalbard Seed Bank. Uh, yes. Or, or speaking of your Terry Pratchett reference, uh, the librarian. Yeah. Uh, how do you know this? How did I not know you know this? I don't know. It's just somehow I like some things stick. Yeah, the librarian, Most things don't, but some things yeah, do. Like, the librarian uh, goes to, like, other, like he'll be at the Library of Alexandria right before it gets destroyed to, like, steal a few books and take them back. Yeah. Because they're going to be destroyed anyway. No one's going to miss them. So, yeah, like I said, Elemists love life. And Earth, Wait, there's multiples? It's hard to talk about this. Because, like, are there or are they all one? Or Once you get to gods, grammar and language get a bit tricky. Yeah, it's like if you have a ball of pizza dough and you split it into two, you ha- you still have pizza dough, but now you have two pizza doughs, but you still just have pizza dough. Something like that, yes. <laughs> you see, the Elemists consider Earth in particular an incredibly beautiful planet. Just then... Have they been to Jersey? <laughs> well, just then, everyone finds themselves transported. Deep underwater. But it's okay. They could breathe. The water isn't actually touching their skin. They're not wet. But they are all in the middle of the ocean. Rachel looks at the other Animorphs. And she still can't believe that Tobias is standing there as a human in front of her. Let alone in the middle of the ocean. I'm sorry. You're talking to like a, an intergalactic god who can stop time. And you're surprised Tobias is there? Right. Right. It's it's jarring. They were near Priorities, this huge... Rachel. <laughs> they were near this huge coral reef. Fish of every shape and color swim by. There are sharks, stingrays, crabs crawling, crawling by. Be careful if you see a dolphin, because you know they're oh, all a prowl. Yeah, yeah, stay away. Uh, they hear the Elemnist's voice in their head, simply saying, It's lovely. Oh my god, is he, is he, is he, is he, are they, is this creature actually Mary Berry from the Great British Breakup? <laughs> is are they just going to go like, oh, it's scrummy. It's overproofed. Well, in the next instant, they find themselves hovering above the African savanna, looking down at the waving golden grass. There are lions, hyenas, elephants, giraffes, and impalas, which I actually only found out for the first time while reading this book is not just a type of car. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> I did not know that was an actual animal. I just thought of Sam and Dean's car. <laughs> just the Chevy Impala? Yeah. That's adorable. That, oh, there's actually something else as well. Uh, hawks, eagles, buzzards flying around, and the Elemist, his voice again coming from within their own hearts and minds, saying, just look at it. African savannah definitely doesn't have eagles, but go on. In an instant, they're transported again, deep into a jungle. Where they see monkeys, jaguars, also not just a car, but I knew that. <laughs> Giant snakes, huge flowers, trees, frogs, and birds. 
and the El the Elmas speaks again. In all of the universe, in a thousand thousand worlds, no greater beauty, no greater art than this. This is the worst around the world trip that I've ever heard of. He's showing them all the all the the cool bits of nature. Yeah, but the kids are also like, yeah, we live on this planet. We know. I don't know. I live on this planet. But you take me to some of these spots, I'm going to be like, damn, this is Yeah, but you're getting really to spend 18 seconds there, apparently. Yeah, it's a, it's a slideshow. N next PowerPoint, please. Click. <laughs> yeah, next slide. Next, the Elemis shows them images of the human race. They drift above New York, uh, above a political meeting in Seoul, a rock concert in Rio de Janeiro. They're in Durban. They're in the Philippines. And they hear the Elemis saying once again, Humans, crude and primitive, but capable of understanding. You know what this guy would really, really love? Tell me what this guy would really, really love. Koyanis Katsi. Yes! No shit! No <laughs> shit! I added the Koyanis Katsi playlist to my car, uh, to my, like, drive to work. That media recommendation, watch Koyanis Katsi. If you smoke, smoke. But yeah. then watch Koyanis Katsi. To my, like, I listened to it on my drive from work because this reminded me so much of it. I've been like, okay. Koyan, it's yeah. It's... Oh my god. Okay, do you want do you want to explain to the listeners what Koyan Iskatsi is? Nope. <laughs> it is a doc. <laughs> is it, it is a doc. I'm, I'm cutting this out. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it is a documentary movie. Documentary is that even the word? It's the closest we can say without a spoiler. Can you even spoil Koyan Iskatsi? Like, no one's gonna be like, spoiler alert. I really love that twist at the end of Koyanis Katsi. <laughs> wow, can't believe it. But but it's it's one of those things where it's like if you act, if you explain what it is, it's no one's gonna watch it because how can you explain what it is? Well, we highly recommend that everyone watches Koyanis Katsi this week. Uh, I believe it's on Hulu. At least a couple years ago, it was on Hulu. They find themselves in a museum looking at a painting, an oil painting of flowers, and they see all the swirls and brush strokes. And the Elmist repeats, once again, humans capable of understanding. And then they find themselves yanked back to the Yerk Pool once again. And imagine the whiplash of seeing all that beauty only to be dropped back into a literal pit of despair. That's a real bummer. Yeah, Rachel says, yeah, thanks for the tour and all, but what the fuck is this all about? Yeah, Rachel, I'm with you. The Elmist, or at least the body that he currently chooses to inhabit explains that humans are considered an endangered species soon they would be entirely wiped out yeah well i feel like viscera three has something to do with that yep he goes on to explain the yurks are also sentient but they possess more advanced technology than the humans do the andalites will try to stop them but they will fail the yurks will win soon the only humans left will be what you call controllers there will be no free humans and rachel can tell by his voice that this didn't seem like a guess or a prediction he knew he knew that the animorphs would lose that humanity would lose i'm just trying to figure out how the yurks are so sophisticated when they need to take a bath every three days that's like that's like a real big hindrance to your war play i have some guesses so i i reread or i read for the first time the capture mm -hmm. 
And Temrash, rest in peace, his words at the end just stuck with me. The Geds, the Andalites, we would not be this way. We were parasites, but not predators. There's some backstory here. I think it involves the Andalites fucking up somehow, which, yeah. So the Andalites are actually the bad guys? I, no, I don't think they're the bad guys. But I think they're responsible for this, which is why. And this is just wild speculation on my part. I can't wait for a listener to email in and be like, oh my God, you guys get something. Oh, yeah, yeah. Happens in book 57. I know, I know a certain someone who is is probably pulling out some hair right now. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. (laughs) (laughs) But Rachel says, well, why bother coming here just to tell us that we're going to lose? The Elemist says, we have an offer for you. We can save a small sample of the human race. We have a little planet tucked aside. We could relocate you to. You, some of your family members, a few others chosen to get a good genetic sampling. Okay, Elon Musk. And a few other non-human species that are of particular interest to us. Dogs and cats. And beef. <laughs> free beef for life. Well, yeah, they don't, they don't need cows if they have the animals. They get free beef for life. <laughs> at this point, Cassie laughs, and they all turn at her and see what's so funny. And she says, he's just an environmentalist. We're an endangered species, like spotted owls or rhinos, and he's trying to take us to a preserve to save us. Yeah, except that he could also just stop the human massacre by taking out the Yerks. So, yeah, he and Axe already kind of explained they don't get involved in the things happening with other species. They don't directly interfere. They let things play out as they will because of their kind of prime directive. But... But what has Axe been doing? No, 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 no. I'm talking about the Elemists. Oh, you said Axe. Right. Axe said... Oh, Got and it. the Elemists said that Elemists don't it. interfere in the private matters of their species, but when they see one that's going to be extinct, they maybe keep that one to the side. Got it. So it doesn't completely die out. So Marco hears this, and Shawnee, what does Marco say? Tobias, shut the fuck up. No. He says his catchphrase, this is insane. He says this is like some kind of fucked up Noah's Ark. Yeah. Tobias I says... I can't disagree. Tobias says... No, it's not an ark. It, it's a zoo. And the Elemist Ooh. turns to Tobias, and in that voice that comes from everywhere and nowhere all at once, he says, Tobias, shut the fuck up. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. The Elemist says... No, I, just, yeah. I wish I hadn't just taken a, yeah, it was a good. It was a good I wish, a drink. Yeah, you? we can't really do the spit take on a podcast, but that was good. That was very close. The Elemist says they have a little planet for them where they can grow and evolve naturally, where the Elemists wouldn't impose their will on them at all. And I'm thinking, is this planet Talos 5? Because this sounds a lot like the cage and the menagerie in the original Star Trek. I'll have to take your word for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It was like a little different, but like group of aliens keeping uh, humans. I mean, uh, the, the, the Talosians were a bit less non-interference. But, you know, the same idea is like we're going to keep uh, small groups of people here and, and just kind of have a almost like a zoo. Yeah, that's like the Inuit people who lived in the Museum of Natural History Ugh. in New York. Well, he says the choice is yours. We don't impose our will. You decide what you want to do. I chose you out of all the humans because you're the only ones who know what's going on here and what's at stake. No one else gets it. So you decide. You can either stay behind and fight a battle you know you're going to lose, or you can come and move away with me 
and start a new colony of humans on another planet. Is this just like a timeshare pitch? <laughs> he says, all I need is your credit card. <laughs> just for $5,000 right now, and the rest of your vacations are taken care of. You get a home on Talos 5 for three <laughs> months out of the year. But it kind of sounds like a timeshare pitch, right? It does. I can see that. Bunch of people in a room. Conference room. <laughs> Stale bagels. Well, Jake says, how long do we have to decide? The Elemist says, oh, right now. Except that he can control time, so what's it matter? Exactly. So they're all like, what the fuck? We have to decide the fate of the human race this moment? He goes on to explain. Listen, if you say yes, then you and those you're close to will be instantly transported to this planet right away. If you say oh, no... I see where this is going. If you say no... Then you will be taken back to the exact moment before I stopped time. Mm-hmm. And Rachel says, wait, you mean we'll be in cockroach morph about to be swallowed by a taxon? And the Elemist responds, everything will be just as it was. This is where you get an idea of what a fucking weasel this guy is. This is a real uh, a catch chicken catchatory. <laughs> a catch catchatory 22. Well, I mean, not so much because in that case, you, you really, both choices suck. In, in this instance, they, they really only have one choice because he could have stopped time and asked them before the mission. But by specifically saying that he's going to return them to almost certain death, but then being all, but hey, I'm not doing anything. I'm not interfering. I'm just leaving things the way they were. Mm-hmm. You know, like Axe said, they it's seem like- to not interfere, but really there's... I would ask what the amenities are at this little refuge. <laughs> I'm like, do you get fresh towels every day? You, you're you alive and you're not going to become a controller, so that's a plus. Yeah, well, but here's the thing. Like, I'm like, this is a, this is a little bit of a negotiation, right? Like, you got to flex. <laughs> you got to be like, okay, well, if I want this, can you throw in an indoor pool? No, not a York pool. Not a York pool. Not a York well, pool. Just, just the, a regular but one. But the way he's like, um, oh, I'm not putting you in danger. I'm just putting you back the way things were. Kind of reminded me of that Bart Simpson. Like, I'm just swinging my arms in the air like this. And if you get hit, it's your own fault. I'm not doing anything. Yeah, it's like the every, every. It's the, it's the, why are you hitting yourself? Why are you hitting yourself? Right, right. Right. So to recap, the Animorphs are being given an option to be taken somewhere far away and leave the war behind, but they would be abandoning the people that they leave behind them. Does this sound like a familiar situation? It's exactly what Rachel's dad was offering her in the previous book that I'm sure you remember, but for the listeners, when he was getting promoted, he was going to take her across the country where she would no longer be an Animorph. You're so kind in recapping this for the listeners. I just like it when the the main plot kind of mirrors the subplot. That's some good writing. So Marco points out what a dick move this is by waiting until they're about to be eaten to ask them. He's not really giving them a fair choice. The Elemis is just like, eh, tough titties. (laughs) Axe explains that this is the M.O. of Elemists. He says they don't care about what's fair or not. They offer you a choice, but that choice is no choice at all. And then they pretend that they didn't interfere. So basically, the Elamists, their entire life, like, philosophy is shiggles. I think there was an episode of the podcast before where, like, they talked about some of the, like, the 
the the laws in like Jewish orthodoxy, how they they exist, they have these laws, and, and a large kind of culture and business comes up around like getting around the laws so you're not exactly breaking the law you're getting around oh, it you're like still Air- living by the letter yeah okay so like like shabbos laws and right stuff. and yeah. this reminds me of that like i can't interfere but i'm not really interfering i'm just putting you in a situation where you'll get eaten if you don't do what i say but but that's the way things were so it's not me doing it yeah like i'm not i'm i can't turn on the oven on shabbos but i can program it so that it will turn on during Shabbos. But right. I didn't do it during Shabbos, so it's fine. Right. I think one of those is like my neighbor came over and did it kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that, that kind of reminds me of that. He's like saying he's not interfering and technically not interfering, but pretty much at the end of the day, he's, he's interfering. Yeah. It's like, who's checking his work? Yeah. So Rachel deduces that the Elemist wants them to say yes. Why else would he put them in this position? And this definitely appeals to Rachel on some level. The idea of no more wars, no more battles, just getting to be normal kids. And they would be with their loved ones. So they decide to take a vote. Shawnee, how do you think this vote goes? Well, considering Marco barely has loved ones, Tobias has never been loved by anyone. Jake's loved ones are probably all controllers right now. So, (laughs) yeah, I feel like they're going to go back to the way things were. Well, Tobias is the first one to chime in. He angrily says no. He's pissed off at the Elemist for making him human again because he knows that the Elemist made him human to use his friend's affection for him as a tool to try to sway their vote. Bold of the Elemist to assume that Tobias is their friend. They barely knew right, him right. before he turned into a hawk. Well, they've, they've grown since then, but yes, correct. But, you know, he, he feels like he's being used as a puppet to manipulate their emotions, and he does not appreciate that. I mean, essentially, aren't all animals kind of a puppet, but okay. Aren't we all? <laughs> Cassie, however, says, well, hang on, Tobias. I get that we're getting all emotional and upset about this, and this isn't a fair situation for any of us to be put in. But we have to think about the greater good here. This is about the survival of an entire race. We can't jeopardize the fate of humanity just because we're pissed off at this little alien god dude. But he's going to do it anyway. Well, they're... What do you mean he's going to do it anyway? No, I mean, like, but he's, he's, Jep- the Elemis is jeopardizing humanity nonetheless. He wouldn't say he is. He would just say, I'm just here offering you a choice. No, I know. Whatever you want. It's your no, choice. But, but whatever but he not. does, whatever he does, it will jeopardize humankind. No, not really. He's not doing anything. Humankind, I think the way he sees it is, is doomed. Mm-hmm. So he's either going to let them be doomed completely or let them be mostly doomed and have some humans on some planet on the other side of the universe. Okay. So he's not actively intervening in the war. And Cassie is like, it would be selfish of us to not take his offer because then we would be ending the human race as we know it by not deciding to take him up on it. But also essentially sacrificing yourselves in the process. I mean, sacrificing yourselves. You'd be hanging out on a planet with your friends and Tobias. Hey, yeah, but, all right. Fair enough. Well, Marco's like, okay, we have two votes against Rachel and Tobias and one vote in favor of it. That's Cassie. And Rachel's like, wait a minute, I, I didn't vote. Marco's just assuming that I would be opposed to this. But, but he's right. If Tobias is willing to go back to being a hawk and giving up his humanity, then she couldn't give up the fight. She's like, yeah, fuck this god dude. I feel like Rachel's just really happy 
having the ability to turn into an elephant whenever she gets angry. And a bear now. Oh, just wait. Yeah. He's like, no, this guy wants to wants us to run away and give up all hope on our planet. Screw him. I say no. Axe chimes in. He's like, yeah, this is like a human decision. I follow Prince Jake, whatever he says. But don't trust the Elemist. Regardless of what power he has, don't trust him. Cassie's really pushing for this. She's like, guys, if we say no, then we're all just going to die by being eaten by the taxons anyway. So what good is that? Isn't it better that we save some people than potentially lose literally every human on the planet? Again, this is a kid's book. These are children being put in this impossible position. Jake and Marco still hadn't voted, but Rachel realizes that they weren't really focused on the conversation that's going on right here. Okay. This really important conversation about the fate of humanity. Marco and Jake are having their own little conversation. And they're gesturing at something behind them. They're looking over past the building, gesturing at this big glass column that's rising up towards the ceiling. Inside, there was a controller, like frozen in time, as if they were kind of levitating in the tube. Okay. Like a formaldehyde controller? What? What? Well, it's frozen there because everyone's frozen. Right. But you remember, when's the last time we came across a giant tube that had people in it? I have no idea. The drop shaft in the mothership. The elevator-like device, for the listeners, I'll remind them. The (laughs) elevator-like device that had some form of, you know, you could thought speak to it and tell it where you wanted to be taken. And it would either take you up and down like an elevator. It's the pneumatic from the 70s. Exactly what it is. So Jake's looking at Rachel while while this conversation's going on. And he's kind of like nodding towards the drop shaft and like winking at her. So this thing is moving, even though everything else around is... No, it's not. Oh, but it's it's just been there the entire time? Yes. Okay. So Marco finally chimes in and says, Hey, thanks for the offer, Mr. Elemis guy, but I don't want to be in your zoo. And also, I just don't like that you're a bully. You tried to manipulate us into making a decision you wanted. Listen, I'm glad you love Earth so much. We'll take care of it for you. Marco would be such a good dad. Yeah, I think so. he He already talks like a dad. And he makes all the dead jokes. 100%. Well, Cassie pleads with the rest of the team. She's like, guys, I don't think you get it. I take care of a lot of sick animals. They get scared and put up a fight when I try to help them. Are we being brave by saying no? Or are we just being foolish by resisting someone who's coming here trying to help us? It's so funny that Cassie, who is the only one who seemingly has like an unproblematic family life, is ready to say, fuck you, I'm out. Because she knows that if they don't take him up on this, that might be the end for Earth. Whereas at least if they move to this other planet, there could be hope. And Jake says, you know what really rubs me the wrong way? Cassie and a squirrel morph. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) What rubs me the wrong way is that you talk like you know for a fact that we're going to lose. But I don't think you know the future. After all, you asked us to vote and you're trying to manipulate us to vote the way you want which means that you weren't sure how we were going to vote. Otherwise, you wouldn't need to do any of this at all. And if you don't know how we're going to vote on something, then how could you possibly know what's going to happen, uh, be the result of the end of a war in the future? (laughs) What? Well, on one hand, Jake has a good point. On the other hand, hey, this dude can stop time and bend reality, so I don't think questioning his abilities isn't necessarily the greatest idea. Yeah, well, that's that's what I'm trying to say. Like, it's if he can control pretty much everything in the universe. Jake's making a good point, though, saying we don't really know 
all his powers. We're just taking his word for it and Axe's word for it. Yeah. Maybe he doesn't know. And so Marco says, well, I guess you have your aunt. And he's cut off. So we were just taking Elmas at his word if he was just doing a fake it till you make it. A fake it till you what? Like, like he's just bluffing, basically. We don't know. But he's potentially bluffing. We don't know. Okay, well, Marco was cut off. He was cut off because he is immediately back inside a cockroach morph inside the mouth of the taxon being held down by its red whip-like tongue being shoved down its throat. Ew. While they're being gobbled up, they hear, If you live, I will ask you once more. Jake Thought yells, Morph! Morph! Everybody morph! In my mind, he says it like, uh, like, like the way Tim Robinson's character yells everything on I Think You Should Leave. <laughs> As you Rachel... sure about that? <laughs> you sure about that? That's why. <laughs> As Rachel feels herself growing, she begins to tumble around through a dark, hot, viscous goo. Everything starts to close around her as she grows, and she feels herself being pushed up against the other Animorphs, who are also growing. She feels the taxon's organs starting to burst around her, while its whole body starts to spasm. And at this point, none of them can breathe. They're, like, starting to suffocate inside the creature. Jake says, just keep morphing, everyone. We're going to bust out of this worm. Axe is like, well, my tail grew back. I could just slice. Jake is like, yes, just do it. (laughs) And these mostly human, partly cockroach kids covered in taxon guts and green-blue slime are standing there in the middle of the controller food court in the Yerk Cavern. Uh, while everyone is in the middle of their lunch break. So this is the alien movie script that didn't get greenlighted, or...? It was pretty great. So normally at this point, I would say that I, since they burst out of the taxon, would add another point to my kill counter. But I have some sad news to make, Shani. I'm giving up on the kill count. Yeah, I thought we haven't talked about that in, like, at least seven episodes. I, I, I have brought it up a few times, but but... You know, between some people pointing out to me that some controller kills should count as two, and some ambiguous situations like the ship crashing, the unclear number of Yerks in the hospital Yerk pool. Uh, YouTube user Torin actually made a 26-minute long video <laughs> specifically about the difficulty of calculating how many beings the Animorphs kill in the series. <laughs> so it was fun while it lasted, but... I did not realize what I was getting myself into. I certainly didn't expect to add several hundred counts to one book. (laughs) So I'm giving up that project. But the people in the lunchroom are no longer frozen by the Elemist. Now they're frozen in shock of disbelief. These four kids that are partly cockroach just burst out of their buddy. So most of the creatures in this lunchroom are controllers. Well, all of them. No, oh, okay, but there's also tax, taxons and... Humans, taxons, torpedoes. Okay, got it. Or HBs, as we call them on the pod. Do we? That's like Dave the taxon just going in to get some coffee. Hey guys, how you doing? Blah! These kids come <laughs> bursting out of them. So the kids bolt out while everyone's confused. People start to yell, get them, and chase after them. Jake's like, head towards the drop shaft, transform in your fighting morphs, just go. Rachel knew she should probably morph into an elephant or a wolf that would be the responsible thing to do because she was familiar with these morphs but she wants power she wants strength 
As she starts to morph into the grizzly bear, someone knocks her over and stands above her and begins to choke her with both hands. When suddenly, that person just has one hand. Ah. That's right. Tobias isn't the only one with a signature move. Axe is all about cutting people's hands off. I think that's like the third time he's done that in the series. Uh, he, yeah, he certainly did it in the hospital. Yeah. I mean, it, I'm like, that's like a pretty logical signature move if your weapon is a blade tail. I would go for the head or neck. I don't know. Do you think this is like, it's like this book would have to be like, instead of um, preteen, it would have to be like oh, 13 yeah, yeah. and above if it's head? I would like, like for Tobias the- and Axe to start collections, just one eyeballs and one hand, so they could be like, who has more? Well, then this is going to turn <laughs> out into like a weird, like, children's Dexter yeah. very quickly. <laughs> but he saved Rachel as she continued to morph. They were cut off from the others. The others were, like, already heading up towards the drop shaft, but there's a small army of controllers in between them and the drop shaft. A group of HBs runs towards them, and they just start, like, cutting up Axe while he's slashing at them with his tail. All of a sudden, Rachel realizes all of her fear is gone. Mm. She only has confidence. And she looks down and realized... She is a Republican man. (laughs) It's been a while! (laughs) Welcome back to our roots. Uh, well, she is a bear. She is on all four paws, covered in fur, and now she's just getting used to the bear instincts that are settled in. See, bears have shitty vision, but it was solely focused on attacking anyone who dared to challenge it. Wait, have you ever, um, watched the, or are you familiar with the Fat Bear Week counter situation? I have no idea what you're talking about. There is a national park in Alaska where there's a whole bunch of bears. And Wait, oh, I, Fat Bear Week, are you talking something in P-Town? No, I'm not. Okay, because no. that's... No, that's a completely different okay, Fat Bear like, Week. Okay. I'm talking about there's, in the fall, when there are, uh, I think they're grizzlies, they are trying to fatten up for the winter, and there is, I think it's like explore.org, and they track some of these bears during the salmon run. And they're like, it's like, who's going to be the fattest bear this year? And it's all over social media and it's adorable and hilarious. I love that. They literally do like a March Madness bracket of who's going to be the fattest bear this year. It's incredible. (laughs) It reminds me of the, uh, I don't know why, but the marble races that people do. Oh, yeah. I could sit and watch marble races for hours. Yeah. Wait, uh, Rachel is full berserker mode. More HPs come after her. And she decides to just give it up to the bear's rage and violence. She lets the bear take over. And all of her fear and uncertainty are swept away. She doesn't have clear memories of what happens next. There's just a lot of ripping and slashing and tearing and crushing. It's the middle part of that um, Hugh Hugh Glass movie with the the Revenant. Leonardo Leonardo DiCaprio. It's just that scene. Where he gets eaten up by the bear. And this is another reason why I'm glad I gave up the kill counter. Like, I don't know how to do that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When I put just a bunch of people? I don't know. But the next thing she remembers is Jake's voice saying, Rachel, morph back. You're out of control. While she's attacking this creature in front of her. It wasn't a hork she was attacking. <gasps> it was a tiger. Uh-oh. Suddenly, she snaps back into herself as she morphs back into a human. And they rush up to the drop shaft. 
See, this is where they should do um, skins on shirts when they're like <laughs> trying to go for this like murderous rampage. So you know who's on your team. I think also, I think you just go Hork, Bajir, and Tiger. Well, apparently, <laughs> it wasn't clear to well, Rachel. She was in the, the fury and rage of the bear. I understand. So they take the drop shaft up. They end up behind the school. Rachel apologizes to Jake for losing control, and they get the hell out of Dodge. They run. She wakes up the next afternoon just feeling like absolute horseshit. Her mother's like, what the fuck is going on with you? You came home last night at 9.30, dirty, barefoot, wearing a fucking leotard. You Barefoot? Look like oh, how did I miss that one? <laughs> barefoot? Her mom was like, Rachel, if you have some problems, you can talk to me. And Rachel just starts fucking cracking up. I would too. Mom, mom, I'm trying to save the entire humankind. Well, not only humankind, but like the situation with her dad, the situation with the alumnist on top of the the yerk pool. And she has a fucking algebra midterm next week. Her mom figures out to stress from the, the situation with her father having to move. And in another round of specificity Tourette's, Rachel's mother said she's going to be working late tonight because she's working on the Hallinan case. Okay. Like in any other piece of fiction, I would expect this detail to lead to something. Like you'd find out at the end of the book that Fisher Three's human morph is named like John Hallinan, and that Rachel's mother. But like, no, that's that's not the case in these books. We just nope, get those specific never, details. Never. Unless it is, and that is just the greatest prediction of all time. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that we will find in book thirty-one that Hallinan was behind all yeah. of this. He's actually Elamist. That day, Rachel skips school. She just watches Jerry Springer, and she can't get the images or sounds from the Yerk Pool out of her mind. <laughs> Jerry Springer? It says trashy daytime TV. I, I'm, I'm adding oh, a little Oh, okay, because I thought this was going to be another instance of lettermanning. No, no, no. That one, that one was me. Okay, got it. No matter how much she tries, she just can't think of Jake yelling at her how she's out of control, the alumnus saying humanity's doomed, her father offering to take her away from everything, the Yurks taking over Earth. It's just all too much. She doesn't know what the fuck she's supposed to do. So she goes up into her bedroom, opens the window, morphs into an eagle, and flies off. She spends the rest of the afternoon flying around, and later, the group is all meeting up at Cassie's barn. Tobias is there, back as a hawk again, and they all hang out waiting for Rachel, who comes in barefoot in her morphing outfit. Barefoot. You already, you can't, know. you can't repeat. What? That's the funny part. It's anti-comedy. Wait, so here's my question. Is Tobias, like, now, like, can he go back and forth now, or is he no. just, he's just, it was just... The Ellenist was just teasing them. He was, like, edging them with Tobias. God, yes. That's mean. Yeah. Yeah, real dick move. But he's saying Tobias is fine. Yeah. He's happy uh, he, as a hawk. He prefers it, I believe. Jake's like, so you skipped school and flew around all day, huh? She's like, yeah, you got a problem with that? He's like, and you went to the garden and got a bear morph by yourself? She says, no, I met him at the mall. <laughs> Can they just acquire, like their number one policy should be no acquiring or trying a morph a morph. For the first time alone. Please, can we establish this already? No, because apparently that's where all the fun is. Yeah, anyone who's, like, yelling at Rachel for this has lost the high ground because they've all done it once. Jake is losing it on Rachel. He's telling her her decisions are putting them all at risk, putting humanity at risk. And she comes clean. She tells her about what's happening with her father, how he wanted to remove, but she just can't do it. 
Marco's like, hey, it's okay. You know, look, you're Xena. You're Warrior Princess. And she says, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm not some old TV character. I'm a real person, and I'm scared. I'm scared of the Yerk Pool. I'm scared about what the Elemist said. I don't know what to do. Marco says, you know what? Yeah, you're right. I'm changing my vote. If the Elemist comes back, I'm going to tell him I want to go. After all, look at how this is affecting Rachel. She's the strong one, and it's fucking her up this bad. None of us should have to deal with this. Marco, your dad just got a new job. He's just... What, are you really going to ruin your dad this yeah. way? Jerry, the boss, is going to be so disappointed. Seriously. Jake's like, ah, oh, funny, Marco. Marco's like, no, I'm serious. I am changing my vote. This is not a joke. Well, the, okay, how do you... What do you do? Do you page Elemist and you go like Dewey? Well, apparently he's everywhere. He's everywhere, everything all at once. So Cassie shows them a scar that she has on her arm and says that she got it by trying to rescue a raccoon. If she didn't intervene, that raccoon would be dead. It didn't know she was trying to help it. It was just fighting back. Jake's like, yeah, we're not raccoons. This is different. And Cassie says, well, to a being like the Elemist, we kind of are nothing but raccoons. I mean, is it that crazy to believe that he wants to help us? After all, if he was trying to hurt us, he could just do it. He's all-powerful. He doesn't need to play games with us. There's no reason not to believe him. Yeah. Marco says he's going to make sure that he can rescue a few specific people that he's not going to name. You know, just someone. <laughs> but if he can take these unnamed people with him, then he's going to do it. Now the vote is two for and two against. And Rachel is the tiebreaker. Who would you save? Mimo. Really? Yeah. And maybe you. Wow. I see how it is. Sorry, Mima is my uh, English bulldog, and she is my world, and she is my everything, and I love her so much. I, mean, I legit get depressed in traffic because I'm not with her. <laughs> I think I told you when I was running the Boston Marathon during the last few miles, it was really tough, and I'm like, I needed some positivity to keep going, so I'm going to think, I need something that's going to bring me a lot of joy, and I thought of you, and it didn't do it, so I thought of Mima. <laughs> And that gave me the energy I needed. I mean, here's the thing. When I come home from a trip, and if you and Mima are both home, I'm way more excited to see her than you. Yeah, so okay. so, so Good, we're both you know. we're both on the same page. Uh, it's going to be so bad when she dies. We're just going to fall apart. She will never. Okay, fine, fine. So we're going to code her like um, that like Argentinian prime minister or whatever who just keeps coding his, like um, cloning his dogs. No, there's only one of her, and she will live forever, period. Okay, excellent. If Great. anyone wants to see what we're talking about, you can check out our dog's Instagram page. <laughs> uh, it's at Rye Brew and Memes. That's R-Y-B-R-U-A-N-D-M-E-E-M-S. We should probably update it. Yeah, we got a lot of cute pictures and memes, and not the other two, because we don't love them as much. <laughs> she was about to cast her tie-breaking vote. When they all hear a voice again, coming from, again, everywhere and nowhere, and inside them, all at once. I told you I would ask you again, said the Elemist. Now, I will show you what you need to see. Oh my god, are we doing Koyaanisqatsi Part 2? <laughs> In a way. There was a, a sequel to Koyaanisqatsi. I know, it's like another crazy name. Yeah. yeah Ooh, like... crazy? Well, <laughs> wow. So in one blow, you're you're degrading the uh, a Native American language and using an ableist term. 
Noah. Well, suddenly they find themselves in an overgrown field. The sky was a sickly shade of pale yellow. There's kind of dust and debris flying around, and there's no one else around. Is this the start of Carnival? <laughs> well, uh, Carnival, the HBC, HBO series? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Great. Uh, God, what a great show. So good. I can't believe it got canceled after two seasons. It, it should have been a comic book anyway. It, that, that, it didn't work on the media of television as well as it would have on the, on the page. Okay, but it was still really great. But just five humans and one Andalite. That's right. Tobias is back in human form. Oh, my goodness. And it's kind of funny. He, he looks down at his hands and goes, oh, this routine again? <laughs> okay, Marco. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right? Cassie's like, this place seems familiar, but I just can't place it. And she says, yeah, it seems familiar to me, too, even though everything's all empty and dusty. And then Marco points out that it's the it's air because it's where it's where Cassie's barn without humans. Oh, no, they're by the school. Oh, OK. And there were a bunch of tumbled down, destroyed buildings that was their high school. Is the York pool still there? Well, they're up on, on ground. They're above ground. The York pool's in the cavern. Oh, OK. Marco's like, wow, normally I'd, I'd cheer with the school getting blown up, but this is just kind of, this is kind of weird. And like, you could tell that this was written in a certain area, era where you could like make jokes about blowing up schools yeah, and, and not, like, like, not be on a list. Is, yeah. this, is this pre-Columbine? It's right, right around. It's right around yeah, there, isn't right it? Around. Rachel's like, wow, I know I missed school yesterday, but I didn't, I didn't think it, it would have gotten blown up overnight. <laughs> and Cassie's like, no, this, this wasn't overnight. Look, with the sky being a different color, the air... Even smells different. We we must be in the future. And Axe, you know how he has that ability to like innately sense time like he does in their morphs? Yeah. He's like, yeah, my, my, I sense time distortion. Oh my God. It's Back to the Future too. It's a different timeline. Funny you should say that. There is a bit of Back to the Future uh, reference that comes up. Marco's like, all right, well, what the fuck do we do now? And what do you think Jake suggests that they do now that they are in the future? Shawnee, think like an anamorph. What do they do? Come on, you know this. They go to the mall. They go to the mall. Wait, I got it right? You got it right. Oh my god. Walking under this sickly yellow sky, they look through the blast holes in the school as they pass, and Marco screams. See, in one of the classrooms... Oh my god, are the skylights all broken? No. <laughs> in one of the classrooms... There's a skeleton slumped over one of the desks. The body was just let there to rot. And Cassie realizes... It's the anatomical skeleton from the biology built. No, it's, it's a fucking corpse. Oh, great. Yeah, Cassie realizes... This that, is still a children's book? Yeah, right? If someone died and was just left there, and they're a skeleton now, this must be years in the future. And Marco <laughs> makes a joke. He says, guys, here's what we do. We find a bookstore in the mall. We buy a world almanac. We see who wins the Super Bowls. And when we Are, get back, you're fucking we bet with on them. You're we fucking with... This is literally Biff. This is literally in the book. It's literally Biff. All right. That's the joke. Ugh. That's hilarious. All right. They reach the highway, and there's no signs of moving cars anywhere. There's a few cars on the side of the highway that also have skeletons in them. The bone hands still gripping onto the steering wheel. They look around and see a system... Of tubes all around the air that the Yerks have constructed, almost like giant horizontal drop shafts that have platforms inside. Kind of what you mentioned about the mnemonic tubes earlier. Mm -hmm. The second season of The Last of Us is sounding very boring. <laughs> 
Well, well, I don't know if they have like cool space tube elevator <laughs> things. That would really change the tone of the show. A little bit. Axe goes, those platforms are traveling at about 300 of your miles per hour. Marco's like, Axe, they're, they're your miles too now. We're on Earth. We all have the same miles. And Axe says, but what about nations that use kilometers? And Smugly says, see, I'm learning. <laughs> I love that. Bit. At least he's not surprised by the pronunciation of words anymore. <laughs> so we got that. Well, he's in Andalite form, and that only happens when he has a human mouth. So now he wouldn't be. Look, I'm trying to not passionately I appreciate hate him. the effort on your part. I ha- hate him at every turn. They finally reached the mall, and it was covered in these holes, about six feet wide each. That is the parts of it that were still standing up. Taxons. Wait, how many trees? I don't know exactly how many trees, but the taxons turn the mall into a giant hive, and they're clawing, crawling in and out of all the holes. Jake's like, all right, we should stay out of sight. And Marco points out, no, we actually don't need to bother. Now that the Yerks have won, if we're in the future and the Yerks took over, all humans are going to be controllers. So we can just hide in plain sight. Well, that's clever. And Axe is like, well, I, I should probably morph into a human. They probably don't see a lot of Andalites other than Visser 3. So he morphs into a human. Mm-hmm. And Marco says, well, you don't know that. Maybe we're far enough into the future that they took over the Andalites, too. And Axe goes, never. Okay. Confident. Yeah. Rachel's like, ah, well, we may as well go check out that sh- that train when we're here. We don't know what the fuck we're supposed to be doing here or seeing here. Wait, what train? The, the, the Not the train. The, um, the, the like, platform in the tube. It's kind of like a, a monorail. <laughs> Oh, so it's like um, like a train? Like, like a, a drop station. shaft with like a tube in it, and the tube has platforms that have chairs, and they whoosh you around. Yes. So it's like a weird roller coaster. I love that post-apocalyptic USA has like better transportation infrastructure than USA Today. The newspaper? <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Honestly, if, if I could... If I could have very reliable public transportation from my house <laughs> to my office that is, like, very fast, I'd be fine if the rest of humanity died. Axe is kind of sad. He said it's too bad about the mall. There were so many good foods for tasting, man. I was gonna... <laughs> He's just mad tasting. about the Cinnabon. <laughs> tasting. Well, he specifically says when the Elemist took us around to see all the wonders of the world, it was curious that he didn't also include a Cinnabon. You're fucking with me. He says that in the book. I love it. God. Well, they get on the drop shaft platform, and they're surrounded by taxons, human controllers, hork but no one's paying them any mind. They look down at the top of the mall, and they see that it was turned into one massive yerk pool. There were a bunch of chairs suited for all different species on the platform. There were many more human chairs than the rest, though, because, again, one of the reasons they took over Earth is just because of the sheer number of humans. They got off at the downtown stop, and it was a wild experience, seeing almost all of the buildings either crumbled or full of holes, everything just falling apart. The tallest building in town, something known as the EGS Tower, we don't ever know what that stands for, was still standing, strangely. And it was pretty much intact. It was the only building uh, that was still standing. And for some reason, the top two floors were, like, covered by this large dome structure that reflected the sunlight off of it, almost like some kind of giant beacon. 
The humans and hork walked down the street side by side, and they noticed that there really weren't a lot of humans. Like, a bunch of people were taken over as controllers, but a lot of people died. Mm. So many of the buildings are gone, including the place where they went to see the circus at the beginning of the book. Remember Joseph? I do remember the circus. I don't remember Joseph. She she takes him. She, she threatens to, like, stab him with her tusk. She throws him into a tent. Anyway, the buildings in that area were all torn down and replaced by a giant yerk pool. It was, and I quote, three or four times the size of... Delaware! A football field. It's been a while since we used Animorph's standard measuring system. I felt that they were coming back. Now, there were humans in cages, like in the Yurk Cavern that was under the town, but unlike that one, these humans weren't crying out for help. They were just staring off emptily. They knew hope was gone. These humans had given up. Damn. Right, a human controller walks by and bumps into Rachel, and Rachel just instinctively lets out a, excuse me. The woman stops. What did you just say? (gasps) Oh my god, they found someone who was pretending to be a controller, but is not actually a controller. The woman stares at her. No, Rachel's the person pretending to be a controller. The woman says, what is your name? She demands it of Rachel. Rachel doesn't know how to answer. She tensed up. She's like, oh, this is it. We're going to have to get ready to fight. But Tobias spoke up. He said, her name isn't your concern. The woman looks back at him and goes, why not? I bet you're just spies. Tobias repeats, her name isn't your concern. And he points to Axe and says, it's his name you should be worried about. You don't rat out your buddies like no, that. No, no. Tobias says, his name is Visser Three. <laughs> the woman scoffed, and Rachel's confused. Like, what the hell is Tobias saying? But Axe catches on right away and starts to demorph. The woman goes pale. She says, oh, you said it was Visser Three, but only Visser One has an Andalite host. Oh. Right. Let's take a sec here. Visser 3 finally gets his promotion. Good for you, buddy. You earned it. Way to subjugate the Earth, pal. (laughs) But also, I love how the woman was worried about spies. This is kind of cool, because if the the Yerks won, who would be spying on them? Is this an allusion to there being another enemy of the Yerks that we don't know about? Perhaps a potential future ally? Maybe the Mac? Or the Strom. Who knows? Strom with three S's. The woman... Pleads, oh, nobody you were told told us you were visiting Earth, Visser 1. I'm, I'm so sorry. Wait, was it Visser 1 or Visser 3? So, we, like we just said a second ago, she looks at Axe and says, you said Visser 3 was here, but Visser 1's the only one that has an Andalite host. Oh, Visser God. 3 oh, okay. was promoted. God. He okay. is now okay. Visser okay. 1. Okay, got it. So Marco's mom is dead? We don't know. We could draw some conclusions. Oh, yeah, he probably murdered her. <clears throat> so the other controllers are all staring Axe as Visser 3, or should I say Visser 1, says, Silence. You were right to remain vigilant. If you were not, I would have killed you. Now, be out of our way. He's doing a pretty good job here. Yeah, that's... I mean, I feel like I, you could you could spice up the murderiness a little <laughs> bit, but yeah. The woman runs away and everyone is still staring. And they realize, oh shit, if word gets back to the real Visser 3 or Visser 1 or whatever, that we're here pretending to be him... We're going to be screwed. So whatever the fuck the Elmis wants out of us here, we need to get it done quickly. Also, Cassie, like, is it, are they actually in the future, or is this like a projection of the future? I mean, let's say you were in the future. How would you know? Like, okay, Shani, are you actually here right now, or are you a brain in a vat? 
are you in the matrix? You know, like, we can't answer those questions. Look, it's Saturday evening. I don't really have time for an existential <laughs> crisis. Yeah, Cassie's like, why are we still here? There's, there's got to be something the Elemis wants from us that we're not getting yet. Because he would have taken us back by now. They look around at the giant yerk pool underneath the EGS tower. And Rachel thinks, why put the yerk pools here where they had to bulldoze and break down all the buildings when they could just find some empty plot of land to build one somewhere? Why build one in the middle of the downtown? This is also strange. Because it's, it's near the that public transit. Yeah. <laughs> it's easy for everyone to get to at a cheap price. Well, Marco says, I wonder what year it is. Like, is it a year from now for us? Is it 10, 20 years? How much time has passed? Just then, a bug fighter swoops down into the atmosphere and starts to land. Rachel looks at it and feels strangely drawn to this bug fighter. She wonders, is this it? Is this what the Elemis wants us to see? She starts towards the bug fighter. And Marco's like, coming through, don't mind us. We're here with our buddy, Visser, th uh, Visser 1. Congrats on the promotions, by the way, bud. Yeah. Crowd of humans, hork taxons, and other species are gathered around where the bug fighter landed. I'm like, Catherine, you gotta stop that. You gotta stop that. I need another species soon. You need to name it and describe it. You can't just throw out a name. I need to meet aliens, Catherine. Do you hear me? <laughs> but the bug fighter door opens, and out came the real Visser 3, or Fuck. should we say Visser 1, as he's now known. Standing next to him is a human controller. Visser 3 gives off this aura of dread and darkness, and Axe is like, well, the gig is up. I'm, I'm found out. Visser 3 turns to the controller next to him and says to her, well, well, right on schedule, just as you said they would be. She's a pretty woman in her mid-twenties, with short blonde hair, wearing plain clothes. The woman walks up to them and says, Hello, Rachel. And Rachel responds to the woman, Hello, Rachel. And that's where we'll end the podcast. No! I have... This is... I'm vibing with this one. This I can't believe... See, now I can tell. Because, uh, like, last week, I expected much more of a reaction to you. I'm I'm glad to know you were just over-medicated. Because that was a hell of a cliffhanger. That was better than this one. Well, Tobias I... is human again? Yeah. Yeah. And now we have future Rachel, which, more importantly... Do you know what the implications of this are? They broke the Prime Directive. No, no, no. <laughs> Time travel is possible, which yeah. means, like, the door just opened up ever so slightly for a fucking T-Rex morph. <laughs> it is significantly more realistic now than it was a week ago. So, but but didn't I at some point, like, float the idea of, like, going to the Museum of Natural History? Like, can you get a morph from that because it's a DNA-based? Like... Right, and we talked about how it seems like you could only get it from living things. Yeah. But now if you could time travel, if that's on the table, who knows? Wait, well, what morph, if, if think about any prehistoric thing, what would you be? I would be a prehistoric scallop, a giant, <laughs> a giant scallop. From the Jurassic era. What would you be? I think I would be the dodo. It's interesting. Oh, you already are a dodo. Oh. <laughs> That's exactly why. Oh, 
The Marco I could, and me. No, it's it. No, it's it's like I I be I I could like finally find my intended form. It's interesting to think of how our uh, concept of the scale of time is so skewed. Apparently, more time has passed since the existence of the T Rex and the Stegosaurus than has passed between the existence of the Stegosaurus and you and I right now. Like, dinosaurs were around for a long time. Wait, I need you to, like, re-say that. Say sure. That. So the time distance between T-Rexes and Stegosauruses existing... Yeah. ...is greater... Yeah. ...than the time difference between Stegosauruses existing and us existing. Or something like that. Hey, 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 nerd. Yeah, you. Stop typing. <laughs> I love your emails. I know this is probably wrong. I know I'm getting the dinosaurs mixed up. I know it's... Actually, it was... Shut up. I know. It's not the point. <laughs> This the is my. Is we think about time weirdly. It's it's my friend uh, Mary's husband Hunter who gets excited yeah. about anything related to dinosaurs. He's yeah. You he, you know what I mean, Hunter. Yeah. It um. So this it's the kind of thing where you see those like it's like it'll be like a TikTok or an Instagram reel or a tweet or whatever where it's like, did you know that it it's been more time between you and this historical event right. there was, than it was more... between or like did you know that Anne Frank and Martin Luther King were born on the out. same day and made know? out <laughs> like it's all that kind of stuff where it's like it's like incongruous yeah. historical facts. like for example more time passed between us and the moon landing than the moon landing and Cleopatra true <laughs> true fact <laughs> But enough about the past. Let's talk about this future world with future Rachel. I knew she was going to turn over to the evil side. It's always the blonde ladies <laughs> who choose the evil. Well, how about the implication when Visser's like, oh, just as you said they'd be. Well, how did she know that they were going to be there? Because she was there. She's remembering yeah. being there in the past. So that answers your question about whether this is legit or not. Yeah, but now that the kids like if they if the kids get thrown back into present day, can they change it? It's this is literally the plot of Back to the Future too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Down and to the sports almanac. You know, I love talking about time travel. Are we talking determinism? Are we talking free will? Are we talking about multiverse shit? What is going on here? I cannot wait to sink my teeth into this. I feel like I'm gonna need to like learn. A lot of new words really quickly if we're going to be talking about time travel and plausibility of it. Or you're going to show me that YouTube video where it's like, did you know that there's actually 24 dimensions of existence? And I'm going to be like, goodbye. There are there are 10. Okay. Nope, and, nope, 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 nope. And nope. we're going to watch Primer. I just remember you showing that dimensions video into, like, fairly early into our relationship. And I was like... Which is all bullshit, by the way. It's all... Nonetheless, but right. you also showed me, like, the slit th theory video. Oh, no, that's for real. Right. Yeah, the double slit experiment. Double slit experiment. And I was like, is this the kind of shit that you want to listen to for, like, a longer period of time in your relationship? And, yeah, yeah, yeah here we are, yeah. like, 15 years later. So, that answers that question. Any thoughts on the rest of the book? What are you expecting next week? Honestly, like, I'm, this is fascinating. Now we're getting into, like, real existential Cosmic shit, yeah. Right. I was wondering how you were going to react to this. Part of me thought that you would find this 
too far-fetched, a little, a little too jumping the shark, a little too raff. I didn't think you'd... No, you'd, because... You'd, you'd be down with this, this uh, higher tier. So, if it's well done, I'm totally willing to be like, oh yeah, we're time traveling now? Like, fuck it, let's go. Yeah. Be, but when it's like, okay, it's Wednesday afternoon and they're hanging out at the mall... I'm going to be like, but that's, they're supposed to be in school. Like, the expectation in their world and in their behavior is that they're supposed to, like, you know, like, let's fucking pull the plug on anything normal existing in the story anymore. Or, like, the, the expectations that they're going to act like teenagers. Now. But they are teenagers. No, no, I understand that. But, like, they're, like, relieve them of the shackles of the expectations <laughs> of a teenage life. Let's go fully Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yes, yes, camp it up. Right. Yes. Yeah, I'm. Awesome. I'm vibing. I'm. This was like probably the most engaged and entertained I have been. Fantastic. Well, I'm happy to hear that, Shine. Thank you for joining me today. As always, it's been a pleasure, uh, folks. Thank you for listening, and I'd actually like to uh, specifically thank. John at the Animorphs Podcast Directory for listing us amongst the almost 40 other Animorphs podcasts. I uh, should check them out at animorphspodcasts.com. You can always find us on Instagram at Circle Yerk, or if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or hilarious anecdotes um, about our future predictions that we have inevitably done in each episode, you can email us at circleyerk at gmail.com. If you haven't already, think about joining Animorphs Yerk Posting on Facebook. Super fun community. Check out r slash Animorphs on Reddit, which I have sadly been taking a break from to avoid spoilers. You can check us out on circleyerk.ninja for a list of episodes and other information. Thank you to everyone who has been sending me thoughts, episode reviews, memes, arts. I love hearing from you all. It is the highlight of my week. Thanks to Valet Turning Pages Design for your amazing graphics and logo. Thanks to Benedict Cupstis for our theme song. Please check him out at fieldguides.bandcamp.com. Until next week. Existential crisis incoming. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>